Welcome to episode 14. Today we have on, as our guest, Taylor Nordberg from, oh my gosh, Taylor, you're involved in a lot. A couple things. <laughs> yeah, I should say so. See, Taylor, you're you're in the absence currently right now, right? I play guitar in the absence, mm -hmm. the melodic death metal band from Tampa, Florida. Very cool. I know that uh, you've... You've got bands like Drit, Skit, Scab, Infernaeon, Necromancing the Stone, Wombath, Gore Gang, toured with tons of bands, Sepultura, Guar. So by all means, this man has been involved in the industry for a very long time. He was actually my very first student many, 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 many years ago. Um and has been doing it ever since. He had Black Note Studios alumni. Yeah, absolutely. He had the drive and the passion all the way back then, and he still continues today, uh, playing in front of you know thousands and thousands of people. Uh, been on international tours. Um, yeah, by all means, thank you and welcome Taylor Nordberg. Yeah, glad I could uh, get my computer situated so I can actually be on the show this time. That's okay because we actually have a two-parter now, which is great. Awesome. So, what? Which bands are you currently in? Uh, the the absence and what else? Uh, well, right now I'm playing live bass for a Swedish band called Soilwork. Okay, um, and that's another melodic death metal band. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, pretty much all, all those other bands that Aaron was talking—they're not necessarily all active and touring. But uh, I work at a studio here in Florida called Smoke and Mirrors Productions. And uh, we pretty much, my buddy Jeremy and I, who he plays drums in the absence, and he also plays drums in a band called Venom now, and we have a whole bunch of other bands, but we basically record all our own projects. So, you know, anytime we say, we should probably do a black metal band, all right, let's start one, and then, you know, the next day we have it recorded. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the big bands are the, the absence. We just put out a record on uh, M Theory Audio. Mm -hmm. back in March, and uh, that's kind of our main main band at the moment. How many uh, how many people are in the band? Uh, five. Okay. Guitars, bass, drums, and vocals. Are you guys all located in Tampa? Uh, yeah. Well, one, uh, one of our guitar players, Joey, lives in Connecticut right now. So how does he come down for the tours? Yeah, well, he comes down for... Um, you know, we did like video shoots and photo shoots and uh, done some shows in Florida. And uh, he flies down whenever, whenever something's happening. I love okay, your photo cool. shoots. Photo shoots are great for metal bands. Yeah. You guys are so, you know. I hate photo shoots. <laughs> <laughs> you always have to look so tough and metal. Yeah, I was going to say, there's nothing. Maybe you just, just stand there, look pissed off. That's it. It I would end up looking like I should be in like the Allman Brothers or something. I was just happy to be here. Yeah. No, your live shots are awesome, and you're you're endorsed by Jackson, correct? Yep. That's awesome. That's great, Taylor. Yeah. All right, so I want to go back in time a little bit. You okay with this? Mm -hmm. All right. <laughs> Memory lane. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have to. We have to. So, you know, when when did you uh, come into the studio that Aaron and I had put together? Was that how old were you? Was that like what? I think I was like 14. 14 yeah. or 15. Okay. Yeah. So your first, because last week we started talking a little bit about like 
uh, sort of an overview of how metal has progressed. Okay. Um, so you came in like most, I would say metal, metal guys with these kind of these gateway bands, right? Remember we uh, kind of working on, at least Aaron was working on different pieces with you, but now we're getting to a point where like in your own career, you have, you're involved in so many sub genres of metal. Like you just said, melodic and black metal and, you know, different what, doom metal, all these different things. Right. Um, for audiences who have pretty much maybe a limited understanding, or even for us who have a limited understanding of like how those genres work, um, how'd you get into sort of like getting into different categories of metal? Is there a, is, is there sort of a, a difference really? Um, like, like what, what is melodic death metal as opposed to like black metal and how'd you learn that stuff? And, you know, how do you sort of like switch the brain from project to project? That's a tough question, maybe. Well, I don't think I actually necessarily, like when I was first getting into metal, I don't think I actively searched out, oh, I want to listen to black metal bands or I want to listen to death metal bands. I just kind of just gravitated towards a couple of the bands that Aaron and you had showed me, like you know, Megadeth and Creator and Metal Church. And I, I you know, le- learned that that was thrash metal and kind of was like, all right, well, I like that. And then bands like At The Gates and In Flames and Arch Enemy. I love that stuff because it was similar vibe of, you know, like Creator and Megadeth, but it had, it was just a little bit heavier and I didn't really know if it was death metal or thrash metal. And then, you know, basically come to learn these genres kind of after the fact. Um, so I was always drawn to like the melodic stuff, whether it's, death metal or thrash or black metal or whatever. But uh, I guess for those who don't know, melodic death metal is like your standard heavy metal, but, uh, you know, up, up to 10,000. Uh, a lot of times it's a lot of twin guitar melodies, you know, kind of like Iron Maiden on crack. <laughs> like, a, like a heavy priest or something. Well, yeah. Like a- I mean, all the, all the subgenres are more or less influenced on influenced by the, you know, Sabbath and Priest and Maiden yeah. and stuff, but it's just whether they went one direction with it, trying to out-heavy the last band, or whether they tried to out-speed the last band, or, you know, more melody or less melody, like, okay. you know, Grindcore doesn't have hardly any melody for the most part, but it's you know, still in the middle sub-genre. God, it's so cool. There's so many cool things about metal today it was funny i was telling aaron this last night because i was up you know late and in preparation for us i was watching a lot of like just a lot of metal videos and on youtube and what comes in through the live stream beavis and butthead yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> so back back on the beavis and butthead show there was a, there was an episode where morbid angel the, yeah. the video for god of emptiness was on right <laughs> And David Vincent starts with this, oh, whoa. And, and Butthead goes, whoa, was that a bear? <laughs> and I'm sitting on the couch, and I just about lost it. It's like 2 in the morning or whatever. Like 1 in the morning, I'm just crying. You know? It is really cool, though. There's a lot of interesting things going on, you know, even today. So I, is there like a, a sort of like a present-day um, popular pat- pattern in metal? Taylor, would you say, like, is it? more based in melodic, more based in black do. Is there a thing, thing about it or no? Uh, I mean, there's like almost, almost too many bands out there because I mean, now with the internet, anybody with a laptop and microphone can put out their own records on Bandcamp and stuff, which is a really cool platform. Um, 
it seems like a lot of bands are trying to out tech each other, which kind of turns me off in a way. I mean, it's there's a lot of amazing players in metal for sure, but it seems like a lot of bands are just trying to, you know, play more notes than the last band, which mm. I mean has its appeal. And I remember going through a phase trying to find the most technical death metal and thrash bands that I could, but you know, sometimes it just lacks the riff, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I agree. I think that there are a lot of metal bands out there right now who uh, are trying to go the technical side. See where, where I kind of come from my school of thought is, is that, you know, back when we were doing it, uh, even back when black note studios was around, we were trying to emulate the guys who were, I mean, yeah, we went, there was the whole 80s thing and Paul Gilbert and, and you know, the, the speed guys. But at the same time, the, the whole scene and the whole environment wasn't as expanded as it is now. Um, and the kids that are growing up now are listening to things that were, I, to be quite honest, Pro Tools the shit out of. Um mm-hmm put on a grid and quantized. So these kids now are learning this stuff that's like so tight and so technical and sometimes humanly impossible, but they've grown up listening to it. Therefore they're trying to emulate that and their skills are kind of surpassing what we were doing at our age back then, because they're, they're listening to stuff that, you know, wasn't really technically possible back on, you know, the older days when everything was done on tape. Um, so what the people are, are kind of growing up listening to now in the metal field is a little bit different in terms of how they're learning and what they're putting out versus what we were doing back then and kind of listening to and learning back then. It's a whole different environment, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, I watched actually, this is interesting. You're just talking about this. Um, I think in coming up as a technician, okay, as I, as I have been for many years and now watching the new generation come up, um, I'm not sure how I feel about this dedication to technicality, especially even with metal music. I was watching a few days ago, there's a video that Marty Friedman did mm. where he was actually talking in Japanese, all right, with this little Japanese girl who was like amazing technically. And you guys, have you guys seen those cameras they have on the necks now? Yeah. Like they actually, you can see like the pick strokes and different things in the right hand. Mm-hmm. They were like analyzing this little girl. She's probably 10. This, her pick um, <clears throat> attack. And it was like how it's like more of an arc, you know, kind of analyzing how you're getting into all the, you know, how she was getting so fast and everything. And Friedman was trying to play, play with her and, and, and mimic some things. And I'm listening to her play and I'm like, yeah, okay. Like technically speaking, great. But where, where, where's like the essence of her playing? Like, where's the soul? Like that other girl, um, Tina S. Like, my daughter likes her because, mm. like, she's like this 14, 15 year old shred master. You know, my, my daughter's getting into guitar now. And I'm watching her play. I'm like, yeah, okay, this just like looks like, you know, people, and I'm not trying to knock them because they're technically really proficient, but they're dedicating everything to this, like you said, quantizing every note, making like its technical mastery. But, you know, coming from the other end of the spectrum now, all these years later, I'm like, that's not all it's about though. Even in metal, it's, that's not all it's about is technicality. It's about, you know, the power and the speed, like we talked last week and, and the feel, those things have to be learned too, even at an early age. So yeah, you're right. I think if the youth is coming in, 
trying to measure everything with this pro tools style, you know, for me, I think that's, that's, I don't know. I think it's kind of the, the backwards approach. I, I, I kind of like in a way, maybe because we're getting older now, the way that we did it, you know, we listen to records and we try to emulate the riff. Like Taylor was just saying, like the riff, you know, Iomi was so great at this kind of stuff. Yeah. And he wasn't a technical guy at all, but man, like the, just the, 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 the hooks they got, you know, even writing wise, it was fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Everything is, is so, it has to be perfect. It it's has to be perfect. Clean. Yeah. It, clean. yeah. Like everything is on the grid. Vocals are auto-tuned. Um, I mean, everything is just so overproduced. Um, but that's the norm. That is the absolute norm. Uh, you went back, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, uh, before autotune was even introduced. Um, it, it was a different, it was a different thing. Um, just the way that producers now, and I've, li I listened to tons and tons of podcasts with producers and actually listening to how they approach whatever album. And they outright say, I want it as tight as I can get it. And it's talking about metal. Um, I don't, not so much like, well, I mean, pop too is it's, Oh, I imagine it's probably like that across the board now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's just kind of disheartening. It's just, but, but why would you put out a, something that's not tight if you could, I mean, and you're competing with so many bands out there. If it's a matter of just a few clicks on the computer, why wouldn't you? I think these producers are missing the point today that with the imperfections comes the cool stuff. Right. And I the agree. Flaws and the flaws that you get. Like, like when Jimmy Page was playing the solo for Heartbreaker, I remember this story. Steve Morse was trying to analyze a little note mistake that, that Page did in the guitar solo, and Morse couldn't figure it out. He's in the studio, and he's like, what the hell was that little blip that Page did? And he couldn't nail it down because it was probably an error, but it came across on tape as being one of, one of the coolest effects you know, and one of the coolest rock solos ever. So I think that, you know, even in metal, we have a genre is defined by being precise. You know, it, we have to have those imperfections there too. It can't just be like this homogenized, perfect, clean, sterile thing. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that there is, and I agree with you, Joe, I understand that as an engineer, uh, and I'm sure Taylor, when you sit down, same thing, when you sit down with any one of the albums, that, yeah, there's this process that you definitely want to go through where you want to clean it up. That's that's extremely important. But there's also this percentage and this line that you have to walk of how much do I actually want to make this, like, perfect? And how much do I actually want to keep the feel of the actual... Um, the live performance? Yeah, the live performance. Now, I also understand that this is a tough subject this is really tough and uh, taylor you would probably know more about this because you you do sit and mix albums um but when you have a client your job as the engineer as the mixer is to <laughs> make it so that when you send it off that you don't get <laughs> feedback from the band they they want to sound like they, they like they sound in their head they have this vision where they sound tight as ever and i want it to be that way whereas if you send them back something that's a little bit more loose um that may or may not go your job as the engineer is to make it as best as possible that's your job that's what 
That's the whole reason they came to you. Um, that's kind of a hard thing to kind of play with. It's okay if I give them a little bit more of a loose and maybe not auto-tune the vocals and maybe not, you know, do whatever. Um, how How is that going to reflect on me? And somebody may want to hire me in the future because of this album. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a it's a weird line to walk, like you said. I mean, there's a like an unspoken expectation for perfection in recording, which is kind of a bummer because, I mean, I grew up listening to all the old rock and metal stuff like, you know, Aerosmith Records, and yeah. those, those are never, you know, perfect and pristine, and, you know, you could hear flubs here and there and guitars and vocals, and that's just what made those records, but, I mean, you can't get away with any of that now. It's just... Right. It almost makes it like you have to be perfect, but you have to be a little bit less perfect than the than the guy beside you to sound, you know, a little more human if you can. So, mm-hmm. so it's. I think it. I think the drums have a lot to do with it. You mean in terms of like how how clean and precise the. Yeah, I mean, because there's like that last absence record we did. Uh, we kept the drums pretty natural because. Well, Jeremy's a great drummer, first of all, with right. help. Um, but also, I mean, you could hear. I mean, if, if you're you know do recording and stuff, you can hear the difference between a, a performance with a lot of groove and emotion and just a tight performance. I mean, right. I would take the something with you know more pizzazz and groove than something that's just you know metronome playing. So we tried to keep it pretty natural and that that kind of allowed the bass and the guitars to have more of a natural flow and, you know, a little more dynamics to it that way. And it does come down to the level of your player. Like you said, Jeremy's he's a great player. Uh, you're obviously a great player as well. Joey's a great player. To have these guys come together and perform together, you kind of get this organic, tight feel that just happens naturally um it's because you guys have put a lifetime of experience into this um i i think with the whole you know home recording studios you have your average joe (laughs) who just kind of you know doesn't really have the dedication that someone like taylor has where okay i'm gonna go record an album and I'm going to sit in my basement and I'm going to record, you know, a couple parts. I'm going to pull in a couple samples, drum samples or whatever there. And all of a sudden now I have myself a song and it's a radio hit um, that you don't have to have the qualifications that you need to have because everything's so easy to be able to do. Um, now the place that that really shows um, is live. You know, if you go out to see a live band, you want to be able to hear what you heard on the album. And if they can't reproduce that live, well, oh my goodness, it's walk away with a terrible experience. And I've seen plenty of those bands. I was, that's what I was reading about, like, um, well, even just listening to Schuldiner, you know, Chuck Schuldiner. Like, for me, it's why I love that guy, his work so much, because he was renowned for having this perfectionist reputation in the studio, right? I mean, after, I think, what was it, Spiritual Healing, he didn't want to work with any you know, any bands anymore. He wanted to do everything with session guys, right? So when you get to human, it's like him trying to really orchestrate things. But when you get into the later records, like like Symbolic, why I love Symbolic, when Holgan was on those records, they were technicians, but at the same time, like 
they could groove like with within those riffs they still had feel and groove and when they went live and you see those guys live remember we watched what was it live in la was it was it death live record aaron yeah like, like or you just, i mean like they were tight and everything but they had they had so much feel behind them i think because what you're saying and, and i think it gets back to i hate to say this the analog days i really think all these guys who were like recording and making mistakes on tape and trying to rectify mistakes and and track things over and over again you know not in the digital vein they they just retained more of this kind of groove even no matter how technical they were well i think it also is um i mean back then a lot of those early death metal bands i mean they didn't really have crazy budgets for recording so they when they were recording the tape they would have you know a four-hour block in the studio to nail you know the rhythm tracks for the album or the ep or whatever so they you know did it over and over and over and over and then it's as good as they get you know i assume in some cases they probably had like all right well we're out of time so this is your last take make it count kind of thing so it wasn't it wasn't just a a half-assed take and then oh well you could fix that right it was like if you wanted your name on a record you need to you know put your all into it and going into the studio they rehearsed weeks if not months to get prepared for those four hours of studio time you know what i mean so like when they did walk in the door they're like okay we as a band are ready we're we've got it we're we're ready and there may be a couple mistakes but you know what we're on our game versus going into your home studio and being like i'm gonna sit down for the next couple hours and piece something together yeah i was just just gonna say like i mean do you think in the metal world today like with recording is it getting to cut copy and paste are we doing that where it's like we lay a riff down and we just like move and cut, copy and paste and move yeah, the bar. Is it getting I, to all that? It's all the time. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it is what it is, I guess. Yeah, it is what it is. It's, it's, you can't it's, just say, well, oh, well, you know, everything past, past the analog is garbage or, you know, it's, it's kind of just like you have to accept that times are changing. <laughs> okay, so I, I have a student that I've been working on electronic music production with and we, we use Ableton. I mean, if we're going to go that route, wouldn't you rather somebody played the the riff on an instrument and then you do all the all the editing on the computer rather than typing the riff into the little keyboard on Ableton with a MIDI? I mean, at least somebody played it. What's well, how I've used Ableton. I, I mean, I love Ableton. I love it. You know, even uh, Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine uses it for that very reason. Like, I did some computer recording with it, but I've had a lot of success in Ableton just like laying a riff down and then having that 64 uh what do they call them a scene and event grid and just mm-hmm. hitting little buttons i've had a lot of fun with that kind of stuff yeah so i'm kind of being hypocritical by saying like you know there's something kind of wrong with the whole cut copy and paste thing um mm-hmm. but at the end of it i gotta be honest with you like even all those recordings i've made like when i listen to the whole track come out even though i recorded those little snippets on the guitar just it didn't connect the same way for me as if i just had all right just run record go Let's play this thing and, and see how it comes out at the very end of it. Yeah. yeah. My question for you, Tony, would be, can you tell if, if they're, you know, copy and pasted, which is, I guess um, that would, uh, it would be either a good record or a bad record. With uh, guitar, I bet you if I sat down, pro- like, okay, it's so like, for instance, yesterday, my, my, da- my daughter's listening to this track by Rihanna, and I knew exactly where they cut, copy and pasted it in her vocal line, because even her <gasps> intake of air was the same. You know, so you could tell, you could, you just tell like where those splices are, but it's seamless. 
You know, the computer, the, the programs just make it like you can't, you have to be listening. So probably, I bet you if I listen to it, um, maybe, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the average listener. Oh, yeah, yeah, probably not. And yeah. I guess that's probably where the, they'd, they'd never know if, you know, half the song is all copy and pasted. Yeah. yeah, no. The average listener doesn't pick up on any of that kind of stuff at all. No. Figure out who your target audience is. Rihanna's yeah. target audience probably isn't savvy to these kinds of things. No, and they're probably, yeah, right, right, right. They're probably just listening to, you know, the feels and the grooves and you know, lyrically speaking and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Not being this curmudgeon that I am. <laughs> this is why you don't want to go to shows with me. <laughs> You're just sitting there like, oh, oh my God, man. You know how many times? Things? Yeah. Well, we went to see Taylor. Did you go to Megadeth? With, was, were you with us at that? Oh, yeah. You were, you were crowd surfing. How could I forget that show? Oh, ever with, uh, Aaron, Tony, and Garrett, another... Uh, no, that's right, Garrett, yeah. And Carlo and all those guys. We went down to Philly. That was my first metal show ever, Exodus and Megadeth. That's, oh, my God, Exodus yeah. was on that gig. Yeah, I still it. remember that. That was sick. November I remember. 2004, I remember. It was a, that was a game-changer day for me. Well, I just reason I'm bringing it up because I remember Aaron and I were in the balcony watching, and we were, like, analyzing everything Dave was doing. Remember that? Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, of we course. got there, and you guys were like, all right, well, uh, we're going to go up top and uh, <laughs> have a couple of beers. Good luck, guys. <laughs> yep, yep. And you and I are like, wait, isn't that Taylor crowd surfing? Wait. <laughs> 16 years old, drop him off in Philly. Have fun. <laughs> yep. And started with the crowd just smushed Garrett and I. We're like, we're going to die. Well, we told you, we'll give you a good metal education. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm usually that guy, too. You know, I used to used to crowd surf and mosh and all that and now i'm the guy in the back that's you know standing right in front of the soundboard listening to the mix and you know trying to pick out everybody's flaws <laughs> what are the live shows like nowadays it's been you know eons as i've been to any kind of live metal gigs but are they are they interesting kinda, really i mean it depends on the the style of band and the city too because i mean i grew up in pennsylvania where most of the shows i went to were either in pittsburgh or philadelphia and I think shows seemed a little more like rough and energetic because down here it's a lot of, you know, guys with their arms crossed, just kind of standing at the back, not really, not really into it. Or I don't know if they're just analyzing it or what, but really? it has kind of a bizarre metal scene at the moment. How about uh, internationally when you go overseas and stuff like that? What are the, what are the crowds like? Europe. Yeah. Those people are, way sick in every city i think they just seem more uh, appreciative just to have somebody here whereas you know over here we get so many bands that tour just u.s bands alone that anytime a band comes in it's like oh yeah i mean whatever there's you know another show next week too so they don't get i mean not every time obviously but sometimes they just don't seem quite as you know stoked to have some band from norway or you know wherever right which which uh, which city or country do you think has the most dedicated metal fans presently? Um, well, I haven't I haven't toured South America yet, but uh, everybody says that South America has real crazy fans. Wow! Wow! Like, uh, Brazil and you know my buddy, uh, the bass player in the Absence, uh, Mike Leon, he plays in Soulfly. Sick! That's so awesome. they do they do a lot of South American touring, and he said they're every show was like complete mania. <laughs> huh. But uh, yeah, Europe for sure. I mean, like Poland is pretty crazy for the most part. 
uh, like Eastern European countries seem pretty stoked on metal. <laughs> how do you how do you feel the the metal scene is in America right now? Um, I feel like it's pretty good. I mean, there's a lot of bands, like yeah. Or, um, but I think that's kind of good because then it, you know, more people are listening to metal, whether it's, I mean, even if you listen to some pop music, it's some of the songs have sort of like almost a metal vibe to them. Like they're like heavy pop in a way. Right. I mean, like bands like Ghost, I, I would consider them like a pop rock band, but they're kind of a metal band also. Right. That kind of broadens the audience, which is pretty cool. There's Last bands week. like Umphreys McGee has got a real metal edge behind a lot of their stuff. Yeah, they're they're a hard rock and jam band for sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think metal's I mean if you talk to a guy that has been in the scene for thirty years, he might say that metal is, you know, destroyed now or this, that or the other thing. But I don't know. If there's if you want to find metal, it's out there. So I think that's kind of kind of a cool thing about the whole internet age is you can just literally search for music for days and days and never yeah. listen to the same band twice. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, like I go out and I play, I play and teach full time, but I'm playing music at beach clubs and, you know, for tourists. And it's always usually like more popular music and I'll mix in jazz and stuff, but um, you know, there are a lot of options for me to go out and play and make money. And even marketing, I, it's fairly easy around here. I'm in Virginia Beach. Whereas, like, with a metal show, where do you get gigs? And who? how do you market that music? You get them anywhere you can. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know a metal club in this area. Like, I don't know a single one. So yeah. I don't even know how I would get my first show. That's, that's kind of the hard thing with um, playing metal or even, like, some kind of, like, hardcore punk or something like that. It's... There's not a whole lot of places that you can play out publicly that, I mean, like most bars will, they want, you know, your 90s cover bands or your, you know, Tom Petty tribute bands or whatever like that. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to just go out and play original metal music in clubs. But um, So you just know there are clubs like in this city, there's this, you know, longstanding metal club that you can go to. Yeah, I mean, there's usually in the bigger cities, there's usually a club where, you know, at least one or two nights a week they'll have punk or metal or, you know, something avant-garde. But, uh, I mean, growing up, I was listening to one of the other podcasts these guys were talking about, uh, you know, where do you play whenever you're 16 and want to play a show? And it's, well, you play in a church basement or you yeah. play a fire hall or you rent out the school gym or you just play at your buddy's basement, you know. Wherever, wherever you can play, you're just kind of willing to do it. Which you think about is so ironic that you have to rent out these places that are so anti-metal to <laughs> really? play metal. You know, <laughs> like where are you going to go first metal show? Church. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember, uh, my brother and his band uh, in high school. We rented out the fire hall and uh, we called it Firefest. Firefest. Oh, that's great. That's great. That, that's sick. You guys actually went and rented it out that's see that's that's what i'm that's what i've been saying for months now on this podcast and that's honestly 
what I say to all of my students that are actually uh, doing something with themselves. And I, you, Taylor, you have no idea how many times I refer to you <laughs> and you're just the way you've done your, your, your career. Um, it's, it's very cool to know that you've had that fire ever since the beginning and it, and it continues to this day. Uh, it's, yeah, it's very cool to witness that because teaching as long as I have been, that doesn't come along very often. Um, it's, it's just very cool to know that you've done it and that's awesome. It's really cool. Thanks, man. Well, I can thank both of you guys for that. I mean, <laughs> I literally, I mean, I remember walking into your studio the first time and saying like, yeah, you know, no, some Aerosmiths, some yep. Van Halen, maybe some Metallica, and then you're like, okay, here's Death Human. Uh, here's you know, yep. Death Human's race. Uh, it's Heart so of the Soul. <laughs> yep. Oh, here's Cradle of Filth. I remember okay. listening to that with my mom on the way home. And that's great. The reason that worked is because you're willing to do it. We, see, we try to do it with every student that came in and then scared the shit out of them. <laughs> you, you were like, okay, yeah, I'll go with it. What else do you have? <laughs> yeah. 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 So with that, with that level of drive and sticking with it, what, what do you do on a normal day? Do you have a practice regimen? Do you spend more time practicing or writing or pro toolsing or, you know, trying to reach out to get gigs and marketing? Um, it depends on day to day. Um, like recently I've been doing sort of like a solo type project, uh, like old British warship music, like old, uh, like diamond head and angel, Witch, oh, wow. and stuff like that, uh, where I'm actually doing all the music and I'm going to attempt to sing on it too. Sweet. So, so lately that's been kind of taking up my, some of my spare time and, uh, We've been uh, demoing out some new absent songs, so I've been doing some of that, and we have uh, a couple projects with the studio that we've been mixing and mastering. So mm -hmm. it kind of depends day to day. You know, someday I might wake up and say, "Well, I'm just going to play bass all day," and some days I might wake up and auto tune vocals all day, or you know, it depends on really what the schedule or how how much energy I have to. <laughs> I, I work a job too, so. If you were to play bass all day or or guitar, I mean, what do you what do you spend your time on though? Are you um, working on like technical exercises? Or are you learning other songs that you thought were cool? That that kind of depends too, I guess. Um, you know, some days I'll want to just play Joe Perry licks all day, you know, from Aerosmith or. Mm -hmm. Someday I might want to sit down and try to learn some Paul Gilbert thing, which, you know, usually doesn't last too long. I'm like, oh, I can't do that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, sometimes I'll just want to, like, throw on a old rock record and just, you know, improvise just over the whole thing just to try and get my improv juices flowing. Mm -hmm. Taylor, something that uh, Joe brought up last podcast about <clears throat> how – we sort of address metal as as a technical attack like in other words like what are the what are the the physical things that we do um to you know to learn metal for the first time or to like develop your metal style and we kind of talked a little bit about sort of like the tones and and the power last week but like how would you jump in on this like what do you think are some of the things that like a new guitar player or let's say a guitar player wants to learn metal for the first time what do you think they should be working on um 
working with a metronome, I think is like key. I mean, cause most, of, a lot of the metal stuff is at higher tempos. And if you're not locked into a, a groove or that certain tempo, then it just goes off the rails and it can get ugly real quick. <laughs> so, I mean, like just straight 16th note, just dig a dig a dig a, just doing that for 10 minutes a day or just trying to work up your speed slowly with that or, uh, talking about like palm muting power chords just getting um just getting your like right hand and left hand uh up to speed with a metronome <laughs> just to get like the basics down so you know whenever whenever your teacher does throw you that death song you're like okay well i think i can handle this you know um yeah, yeah i think playing with a metronome is pretty key whether or not you know if you get a drummer that plays with a metronome or not it's good to have that, you know, internal clock, mm -hmm. like you were talking about the atomic clock. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Have, good to have that just worked in your brain so, you know, when you go to play with other people, hopefully they have, you know, similar. Yeah, it's pretty amazing how many students that will sit in the chair and I'll say, okay, here we go, you know, a BPM of 120 or 150 and we're just going to do 16th notes over top of it on the low e that's it that's all i want you to do for you know a good two to three minutes and you get like 30 seconds into it and they're like falling off and you're like come on man like this is this is the most simple exercise that you can have let's just let's just practice this just try to keep in that groove don't don't lose it see if you can do it for a straight three minutes no problem yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, it's really tough to be able to do that. Well, I think the yeah, key. I remember starting out doing that. It was, it was like, oh god, there's yeah. no way to get to two twenty. <laughs> I, th I think the key in all this is is okay. So put take the take the metal cap off for a minute, right, and just look at it as a, a technical genre, right. And and if you if you think of it that way, then I think a lot of it becomes more clear about how to kind of prepare yourself to play metal at high speeds and things. And in that vein, what I think was more successful for me was always teaching my students, don't always think like a guitar player. You don't have to approach everything like a guitarist. Like, think like a drummer. Like, I watched Gene Hoagland play. You know, he's in the open hand techniques, right? And I'm watching him, I'm learning, I'm watching what he's doing. And I'm watching, like, how he places everything. And I think, how could I do that on the guitar? What are some things that I could do? You know, like, because if you're thinking right hand, left hand, syncing and coordination, what are some things that I can borrow from drummers onto my instrument. Cause if you think about it, metal, like you even said, really is a sort of a connection between the guitar, bass and drums. It's that heavy rhythm section. That's so important to lock in. Right. And if you're not synced with a drummer in some way, then it, you know, then it does feel sloppy. Right. So for me, I think it's really important for new students in metal to learn is, you know, watch the drums. Look, look at how, you know, metrics work. Look at how, you know, like you said, 16s and 30 seconds are placed in different areas of that instrument and think about how you can do that as a guitar player you know placing different accents in the left versus the right okay so that that's helpful i'm i'm still trying to figure out so like as a non-metal player like you're talking about all this rhythmic stuff if i was to just sit down and i'm playing the low e string with a metronome like that's not interesting i get that it's it's a technical thing you need to do, but say I've got some, a student that I'm trying to get into it, whether it's me or my student, what do I give them to start working? I mean, is it, are you riffing on a single chord? What's the, like, is there any harmony? Is it just like, 
you're riffing on the one chord the whole time or is it is there anything a song that you would recommend learning as a first song is there like where how do you start that's what i'm trying to figure it's so out so broad joe i think i think it's that's the thing like everything is in metal would yeah. you agree like there's melodic lines there's scalar runs there's arpeggiation mm-hmm. there's chordal chunking there's just rhythmic chunking i mean it, palm it's it's all in there so i would think but you, you gotta know, have a song well i think any song you have no real outlet to like you show up and somebody's like play something you're like oh i can play this scalar run and like how many oh, well, times yeah, you go yeah, to yeah, Guitar yeah. Center and somebody's like, diggly, 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 diggly. Yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, that's awesome, dude. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're doing your technical exercises at Guitar Center. Um, I think for the for the people who are serious about metal, maybe Taylor can kind of you know have have a different angle on this. But I think the people who are serious about metal, they could literally sit sit down and do technical scalar exercises and make it interesting as a metal piece. They can make a riff from that. Okay, mm-hmm. but for people starting out, I think anything you pick could be presented as a metal example. So um, I don't know. Like for me, like when I when I was working here in Maryland at the, the studio I was teaching at, at music and arts, ironically, and I had a student come into me that wanted to learn metal. The first piece I taught them was empty words by death because it was okay. simple enough, but powerful enough, you know, and it only used power chords really. But it, it, the stuff he was doing was like all these Locrian half step things that Chuck was known mm-hmm. to do. And it was something that was accessible and approachable, you know, and after that they got into that, then I said, all right, we'll put that aside. Let's learn, let's do some modal work now, you know? And I took them through, you know, different modal exercises. And I showed them how the first five to seven notes of an upper ascending, I don't know, mixolydian or whatever, um, can be turned into a riff, right? Because if you think about it, um, you, could, you could do that with almost anything. I could, I could take the lower six notes of any scale and put them on the low end of the guitar and just, and just you know, palm mute everything. And sequence it, and bang, there's a there's riff one. Then resequence it, retool it, put it in a different area of the neck. Bang, there's riff two. You know what I mean? So it, you can you can compose that way very very easily from technical workouts. But if you want to just give them the, the intro, I think anything, any song can be introduction, right? Yeah, well, I like right. <laughs> empty words. Going going back in time and starting from like you know Sabbath, Deep Purple, even mm-hmm. like. Uh, stuff like that is good to like something like paranoid like what kind of chords or chord progressions are in metal and then you know like metallica i remember doing fade to black and uh call of the cthulhu with aaron and stuff like mm-hmm. that and that kind of has a little it's a little bit heavier a little more technical mm-hmm. um hangar 18 tornado souls <laughs> yeah i mean that's those, what those yeah. are crazy but yeah I mean, kind gotcha. of way into like, you know, Maiden and Priest, that'll have a little more melody and then a little, you know, higher tempos. And then, then you get into the, you know, Metallica and Megadeth. And mm-hmm. I would say that. And then it kind of, you know, just goes up from there. If you, yeah. want, if you want to teach groove, okay, for me, Joe, because if you're mm-hmm. looking for things to kind of give as examples, um, m- one of my favorite pieces still to play but also to give students to teach feel within a metal context is war pigs paranoid's good i like paranoid but war pigs if you can kind of command those groove sections where iomi is like literally chunking and like playing like the low e and then like playing some stuff you know in the upper part of the the pentatonic and the high e and doing all within the same kind of two or three measures and, and giving a groove that way. I think it's a tough piece to command, groove-wise. It's a good one to start, I think, students on. 
And then, of course, Metallica. Yeah. Yeah, Metallica is where pretty much everybody starts. And anything from their, you know, first five records so far. Yeah. Yes. Like Riff-wise and melody-wise and, uh, like, layering harmonies and stuff. Pretty much the go-to. Yeah, yeah it <laughs> really is. Yeah. Maiden. That's yeah, Maiden. stuff in there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Any of those earlier guys, they usually have that stuff that's a little more accessible. Uh, it is until you start getting into the next level uh, where things start to become a little bit more challenging. Um, start breaking yeah. the rules more. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, melodically and time-wise and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I for years now, have done uh, In Flames Jotun. Oh, that's um, a good one. With tons and tons, I've even actually actually had a a band perform it at Battle of the Bands. Um, also, the Wayfarer by uh, In Flames is also a really good one because it's it's meter based. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot of good things out there that um, depending on which level you want to kind of enter at, um, there, there's plenty out there to kind of play around with, whether it's Carcass or. <laughs> Opeth. Opeth has a lot of different kind of stuff that's a little bit off the beaten path. Uh, mm-hmm. If you want to get into stuff that's just crazy, get into stuff that's like Lamb, Lamb of God. Um, they, cannibal Corpse. Cannibal Corpse. <laughs> Obituary. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah, these guys are kind of using these things that are uh, they kind of they are not approaching it from a theory end. They're kind of approaching it from an ear end. And how do I make this as crazy and chaotic and dissonant as possible? And how do I throw these things together? So it sounds cool uh, rather than, Oh, well this Locrian mode goes with this. And, and they don't think about it like that. It's more like, I just want chaos. Oh, yeah. about Lamb of God. Lamb, you know, Lamb of God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, any of those bands, I think it goes back to something we talked about even last week. It's like you're going for effect, you know, you're going for like, what's, the, what's the overall sound coming out, you know? And like you just said, do we want chaos and destruction and brutality and hammer in your face? Then this is how we do it. <laughs> it doesn't matter what the raw materials are. It's just, it's just like the, it's like how you present, you know. A band like, uh, I don't know if you guys listen to much Voivod, Canadian band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do a lot of crazy crazy riffs that if you listen to the riff by itself you'd think what the hell is that but then you have it mixed in with the vocal and the bass and the rhythm of it and everything and you, you're like wow that's really bizarre but really cool and really effective so mm-hmm. i've been digging hmm. on them they have a new record that i think just came out but hmm. they use a lot of dissonant guitar riffs and stuff speaking of bizarre i'd be upset with myself if i didn't ask you this question today taylor what's it like working with guar Oh, yeah. bizarre. <laughs> uh, those guys were super cool. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was fortunate enough to tour with them when uh, uh, Dave Brocky and Corey Smoot were still alive. Yeah. Um, those guys were super awesome. That was my first tour ever. I didn't even really know, you know, proper etiquette on tour. I didn't even know what to do. I was just kind of happy to be there. And I, and I wish now I could go back in time and redo it, you know, knowing knowing now like how tours work but uh those guys were really cool very humble uh really goofy yeah <laughs> as <you can> imagine uh <laughs> one of the ongoing jokes was never watch guar from behind 
Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's funny. Just, you know, fifty-year-old dude butts just walking around. Uh, their costumes are real stinky. I don't doubt that, man. They have those, you know, hanging up backstage, and they would. Uh, they traveled with two hundred and fifty-gallon tanks of fake blood. Yep. Yeah. Wow. So that was always impressive to watch those things roll by. Yeah. Poses uh-huh. everywhere and. It's really cool music too. I mean, a lot of people know them for their shock value, but yeah. they've got a lot of really cool riffs and pretty interesting style of you know, like the drummer Brad is really awesome. He's got some cool hooky drum parts and uh, it's a cool mix of punk and metal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On their second show that I saw them, uh, it gave me an opportunity to kind of just, you know, sit back from the, the, the show that was going on and actually just kind of watch exactly what they were doing. And yeah, absolutely. Aside from the fact that they have these huge costumes on that they can still play extremely proficiently on. uh, (laughs) It was, it was amazing to actually just kind of sit there and say, wow, these guys are the music that they're creating is actually really, really good. Yeah. I mean, without the costumes, it would still be a band that I would want to go see. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I remember listening to those guys and like, like really being into them musically. You know, and this is before I even knew about the whole kind of shock right. you know, performance thing. You know, I just think they're just a good band. <laughs> and then so, you, okay, good, good. No, I was going to go to something different. So was I. Ah. 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 Well, I just wanted to, I wanted to bring up the fact that like a couple of years ago, I listened to a dream theater album, but this, since our discussion last week, I've actually been listening to a bunch of dream theater and I like, I know they're, they've got a lot of elements of metal, but as a gateway band to metal, I mean, I think they're incredible. They've got like this kind of rush sound sometimes. They're more, they're more prog for me, I yeah. think. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But yeah I, like, I, saw I think John Petrucci's playing is insanely good. Are we going to get into this today? <laughs> <laughs> yeah! Because the, the other two guys at the table here know how I feel about this. <laughs> don't, you don't think so? I don't like them at all. Nope. Maybe... Yeah. Because well, it's I should say that. Than what I normally listen to. I don't want Patricia coming over to kick in my ass. <laughs> <But> <laughs> no, I mean he's a great player. He's a, he's a great player. Um, I, there are certain things about his playing style that um, I think is when I listen to him, it feels very what's the word I'm looking for? Piecemeal. Like he's borrowed from a lot of his influences and put them together into like a quilt. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't think there's enough of his own voice. Like when I listen to Petrucci play now, I'm like, I think that's John. Is that John? Oh yeah. I thought it was Steve Vai a minute. Hmm. You know? So I, I always had a hard time, but, but the band think um, I've always loved dream theater. I've always yeah. loved those guys. As Compositionally. Band. It's just, the, yeah, they're good. It's incredible. Oh yeah, my they're gosh. Good. Technically they're good. And I've played some dream theater covers in bands and yeah, I mean, there's a guy Petrucci is just like top notch technically, you know? Um, they all they came all, out of Berkeley. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Yeah, they're an amazing band, and and I will say in terms of, for John, he has gotten better. Um, he's I I hear exactly what you're saying, and I I feel the same way. Um, but over the years, especially within the past, I'd say five to ten years, I think John is getting better, and he's starting to find a little more of that soul that he was lacking for so many years. Um, Which is strange because the early albums are great albums. Oh know? my gosh, yes. I mean, I'm like just in words. I love that record. Oh my God, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, riffs on that record. I would knock John in any way whatsoever, but in terms of the sterileness, yeah. it, 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 I, I hear it. 
And uh, I agree. Uh, but Dream Theater is an amazing band. Amazing. Yeah. I, I wouldn't classify them as metal, though. I think they're, for me, they're more prog rock. You know, so they've always been kind of that for me, you know? Yeah, I, I don't see that. I mean, I see a, where you could get this metal tendency from them. But in terms of actual metal, no. They have, they have hints here and there that they may kind of play with. But there's no, like, there's no true metal to what's I, I, going I, I, on. I want to classify as a metal band. No, no. Maybe it's just the heavy chunking that kind of gives me that vibe. Oh yeah, and yeah obviously yeah. it's not like death metal, but metal production. That sure. style of rhythm yeah. guitar. Yeah, metal production. Yeah. What, which uh, Joe? Which album did you say you listened to by those guys? Uh, mm-hmm. I can't even remember what it was a while ago, but I've been listening through the the self titled album this week. Hmm. Is that is that more recent? That one? I'm not sure. I okay. just pull, it's what was on Amazon Prime. I've been like, you know. Pulling it up while I'm in bed, closing my eyes. It's like watching a movie with your eyes closed. Yeah, well, there, for me, there were two records that did that incredibly well by those guys. The first one, of course, is Images and Words. So yeah. look up Images and Words. It's okay. probably my favorite by them. And then they wrote, they did an album which was based on that years later called Metropolis mm-hmm. Part Two, I think it was called, mm-hmm, yep. which is like an uh, which was another concept record, very good, very good, you know, and just and all the riffing. Like again, like Petrucci just writes good stuff, and he's a technical player and. But I think you you would really find the essence of Dream Theater in those records. Yeah. Because the other ones I've listened to, um, I wasn't too keen on. I think they kind of veered away from their formula a little bit. But those particular albums, I think, were great. Cool. Yeah, I'll definitely check it out. Yeah. I remember once they did a thing. Like, this is why, why I think when I said what I said about John earlier, this is what I mean. Um, I'm a big fan of King Crimson. Mm-hmm. I love Robert Fripp. Yeah. Lark's Tongues and Aspic is one of my favorite pieces ever on the guitar, just not only as a piece guitar-wise, but musically speaking. Dude, so I remember taking Lark's Tongues in Aspic, part yes, two. part two. Yep. Dream I, Theater covered it yep. on a later record. Dude, I remember I was, sitting with you for like a month analyzing, analyzing just, just the beginning of just the, the whole The whole thing, the whole <laughs> sequence in, in 10. Yeah, I remember and, that long time with you guys on that too. Yeah, that's right. You did. You worked on that with us too. Well, anyway, so, so Dream Theater covered it. I was very disappointed. Very disappointed. Um, it seemed like, you know, they were taking that piece and putting their own spin to it, but it became non-King Crimson. That's, I, I can't even articulate this the right way, but listening to their take on it, I was like, why did he do that? <laughs> Like he actually did a guitar solo where the violin thing plays and it's like, John, just stop playing, you know, and just, and like, just get into like, loosen up, loosen up and feel, feel that pulse. You know what I mean? I can't even describe that. That's so, so if you want to get, get, for me, get a sense of where I'm going, John, for truth, I think that's, that's probably what it, what it was. Oh yeah. Fripp. Oh my God. man, Yeah. Yeah, and he's got a school where he can actually go and spend, I think, like a, like a month with Fripp in his guitar school. Really? Come out of Madman. Yeah, right? That would be awesome. That'd be sick, man. That'd be so cool. I got a good guitar player for you guys to listen to in closing here, if you want to get into some of this. Bill Frizzell. Bill Frizzell, if you guys want to. Taylor, check this guy out and see if you can put some of his style into your, into your metal playing. I'd be yeah. really interested to see what you do with this guy. Bill Frizzell is like this jazz, but at the same time, kind of chameleon of sense he played with john zorn 
on an album called Naked City. Check that record out, Naked City by John Zorn. This guy, like within the space of measures, will change his style. He'll play like a Pink Panther theme, and all of a sudden he'll be playing like a metal riff, like, you know, like five bars down. And it's like, it's amazing what he can do. Bill Frizzell. Okay. Yeah. Have to check him out. Really yeah, cool stuff. Check him out. I think I've only seen him play actual jazz. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's how he's built. But I remember watching a show with him once where he was playing this, I don't know if it was a Telecaster that was running through like this really weird delay unit he was doing. And mm-hmm. I was like, wow, Bill, you know, I, I love that kind of stuff. He was playing with the whammy bar and, you know, just turning things on its head. And ugh, some guys are so creative. It's, 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 it's sick. Well, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of creative guitarists. I mean, as soon as you said creative guitar, something of a Guthrie, Guthrie Govan. Guthrie Govan. Yeah. yeah. Just the way he approaches his lines. It's just like, whoa, holy. Okay. Would have never thought of something like that. That's sick. There's a second. Yeah. There's so many people out there that just kind of approach the guitar in a little bit of a different way. And it gives them this, this voice. Uh, cause they're not, they're not bound by rules. They kind of just kind of make the instrument their own voice and make it their own. And it's just very cool. It's very interesting. Yeah. Chris Poland was always one of my favorites for, you know, being an outside the box player. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played on the first two Megadeth. Megadeth records. That's right. Yeah. But I liked what he did after Megadeth, which is, is interesting. Right. Band, uh, Ohm, which is like a jazz fusion band is yeah. super sick. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he he plays stuff on guitar that, like, wow, how do you even come up with that? <laughs> Just thinking about it differently. That's yeah. really Taylor. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, buddy. This was yeah. Thanks for having me. Awesome. We enjoyed yeah. having you. Taylor, is there uh, is there a website or anything you want to promote? Obviously, your bands and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the absence on Facebook and Instagram and all that, whatnot. Um, be doing some stuff with Soil Work next year. Sick. Um, new uh, Gorgang record should be out this year on uh, Transcending Obscurity, which is a Indian label. Very cool. Very um, yeah, I guess just follow me on the social medias, and that will kind of cover the umbrella of <laughs> all things happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just have to say the I, I did listen to the Absence, you guys' latest album. I love it, man. It's yeah, you it's, got some really good stuff. It's yeah. really your playing is amazing. Joey's is spot. I mean, Joey's just an incredible player. Uh, Jeremy Kling, drummer, is sick. Uh, he's just spot on. Uh, just really good guys. You guys are really good. You guys kind of have this. Uh, I definitely found tones and elements of like at the gates in there, which is why I really enjoy it. <laughs> uh, you guys, it's it's great the way you guys meld together. Great album. By all means, everybody should. Go check it out. It's called A Gift for the Obsessed. Mm-hmm. Great titles, man. <laughs> I'm going to go write something now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ooh. The child and then write a death metal record. Yeah, it's, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, they often go hand in hand. Yeah. <laughs> the sickening child. <laughs> the fever must come down. <laughs> Can't take 102. <laughs> Taiwanosa. <laughs> All right, guys. That's one of the outtakes right there. Yeah. Oh my god! Are you kidding me? We'll have to make an episode three just from those. Yeah, oh. absolutely. Taylor, we, we would love to have you back. Yeah, man. seriously. Anytime, man. Yeah. Awesome. All right, guys. Have a good week. Yes, indeed.
Until Latest. next time. All right. Later. Yeah. Later, guys. I lulled myself to sleep listening to death last night. What you got there, Aaron? I'm trying to see here. Uh, checks and Lucky Charms and a little bit of raspberries. and. You mixed checks and Lucky Charms? Hell yeah. I never even thought to do that. See? That there awesome. is an adult decision. <laughs> He's like the Wizard of Oz, man. <laughs> yeah, the man He's behind the curtain is actually a... Guy <laughs> eating Lucky Charms, right? And purple milk. Come on, Lucky Charms. Look at this. The hat too. He's eating Lucky Charms while magically we're delicious. Well, I get the strange sense that our blooper reel at the end of this episode is gonna be like ten minutes.